in 86. Anna Martin wrote the first book of what became a cult. Now it's time for Babysitter's Club Club. Hey, we're recording. Cool. Just texting my wife. Great. That's a that's a great that's a great way to start. <laughs> Do you want to read it out? Or yeah, she just... said uh, she said uh, how late are you staying out? And I said, well, we're planning on watching a movie tonight too, so kind of late, maybe eleven. And she said, oh, okay, what's the movie? And I said, Grown Ups two. And she said, oh right, okay, enjoy. <laughs> so good. I'm off the hook tonight, huh? Yeah. When, when the cat's away, uh, the boys will watch an Adam Sandler vehicle. Um, hello and welcome. Sorry, no. I cleared my throat. Go ahead. <laughs> um, hello and welcome to the Babysitters Club Club, a podcast where I, Jack Shepard. Come on, man! You got to pick up on your cue. It's so easy. It's so easy. You gave me nothing, man. It was like too smooth. Because you were immediately not. You were immediately not paying attention. <laughs> you were thinking about texting your wife. I was thinking about grown ups too. <laughs> okay, I'm in. I'm fully engaged. All right, hit me. Hello, and welcome to the Babysitter's Club Club, a podcast in which I, Jack Shepard, and I, Tanner Greenring, oh, that was so good, yeah, uh, talk about the 35 canonical Anne M. Martin penned novels in the Babysitter's Club series. At least. At least. We'll see how we feel after 35 weeks of this. Yeah. Um, there are 125 total Babysitter's Club books, not counting the spinoffs, but not all of them were written by Anne M. Martin herself. But also, if this is a raging success, which it's going to be, uh-huh. we could spin out into the Boxcar Children, Sweet Valley High. What Sweet else? Valley Twins? Sure. I, that's uh, The Unicorn Club? What's that? A Sweet Valley High spinoff. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a lot of options. We can yeah. do this for years. <laughs> Uh, why are we doing this? Well, as a young lad, I, uh, when I was seven years old, used to hang out at my girl cousin's house, and she liked to watch TV. I didn't like to, so I sat in her room and read her entire library, which was all of these books. So I have a special connection to the Babysitter's Club series. I'm reading them again with new eyes. Uh, Tanner, on the other hand, uh, just likes books about 12-year-old girls. <laughs> I like books about a lot of things. <laughs> that so, but that's it. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. So last week, and by last week, I, I mean last week for you, literally six months ago for Jack and I, uh, read and discussed book one of the Babysitters Club. Um, Christie's great idea. Spoiler alert: Christie's great idea was the Babysitters Club. This week, <laughs> we've read and are planning on discussing book two. Claudia and the Phantom Phone Call. Yeah, it's actually Claudia and the Phantom Phone Calls. Calls. It was uh, it was a totally different vibe from the first book. Um, but before we get into that, um, the briefest the briefest of plot summaries. Here's okay. my plot summary. Yeah. Four small business owners struggle to maintain their professional and personal relationships when their livelihoods are threatened by a stalker, a dangerous thief, and a practitioner of the dark arts. You really boiled that down. Yeah. You got to the bones of that. <laughs> okay. Um, should I go a little more in depth? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, as we know, this is a babysitter's club. There are four young women in this club. Uh, Christy, who we dealt with last time. Claudia, her friend who lives across the street. Marianne, Christy's best friend, lives next door to Christy. And Stacy, the new girl from New York City. Um, 
this book follows Claudia and her adventures in babysitting. Um, not associated with <laughs> the Uh-oh. film of the same name. It follows her uh, adventures as in babysitting. <laughs> Uh-oh. Do, you, do you want me to? Do you want me to? You want me to do this for you? <laughs> no, I can do this. I can do this. Um, Try to sum it up in one minute. Okay. 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 Um, shit. This is gonna be hard. So, f- Claudia is a babysitter among peers. Oh god. <laughs> shit. <laughs> You're making me so nervous. All right, here's what we're going to do. And this is all going in, man. I'm going to give you one minute. I'm going to step my stopwatch for one minute. Yeah. And what you say in that one minute is what this book is about. Okay. Are you ready? Yep. All right. Uh, on your marks, get set. This is a dense book. Okay. Go. Okay. Uh, Babysitter's Club. Claudia is who we're focusing on in this book. She's a young lady. Her parents are very strict. Uh, she's great. got a grandmother who she loves very much, a sister who she hates very much, um, very bad at school, is an artist, kind of creative-minded, not good at math, not good at English, that kind of stuff. Um, that's all irrelevant. <laughs> uh, what is important here is um, Trevor Sanborn, the boy she has a crush on. 20 seconds. Uh, she Left. Um, she, uh, fuck. Um, she, uh, God, uh, she does some babysitting, as they all do. Um, there's a phantom phone caller who phone calls people uh, over and over again but doesn't say anything. Um, he's just trying to see whether or not they're home. If he calls and they're not home, he goes and robs their house. He just takes all the jewels. Um, the girls start to worry, oh shit, what if we get phone calls while we're sitting babies? Um, it happens. It happens to Christy several times. It happens to Claudia several times. And we're done. Oh, fuck. That doesn't, I'm not done. <laughs> There's, that's like, that's the first quarter of the book. <laughs> This is a dense. This is a dense novel. There's a lot going on. The phantom phone calls is the central theme of the novel. It's yeah. what brings them all together. I was going to talk about this a little bit later, but it's built around this beautiful quartet-like structure Ooh. where it shows the different point of view of each of the four babysitters in the in the middle section of the book. I don't like it. Can I say? Can I stop <laughs> you there and say I don't like it? You don't like. You don't like the book. I don't like the quartet. I don't like the construction. Okay. The the narrative point of view shifts in a very awkward way. We go from Claudia's perspective throughout the book, and then all of a sudden she's relaying a story about a babysitting evening that Christy had, and then it suddenly shifts over to Christy's perspective. Yeah. I don't like it. This is all, I mean, the trope here is that uh, Marianne, who's the secretary of the club, keeps really, really excellent notes of each person's babysitting experience um, and presumably interviews them after the babysitting experience. And Christy is taking that transcript and taking a few creative liberties with it in the telling of the story. Did you see that episode of Black Mirror (laughs) where everyone put little cameras in their eyes and could record all their memories, essentially, and then replay them? It felt like that. That's very much what this is like. Yeah. yeah. No, and that's what's so cool about it. Because it's Claudia's point of view, but she also kind of suddenly can see from the eyes of her best friends. That's a very tragic episode of Dark Mirror. Okay. There's nothing cool about it. <laughs> the guy like goes insane and like kills himself, I think. Well, this is a dark... So this actually this is a good segue because this is a really, really dark uh, babysitter's club. I mean, we've only read two, but compared with Chrissy's Great Idea, which was pretty upbeat, yeah. There's a lot of darkness. T- to me, the obvious comparison is a gothic novel. <laughs> I-, I can't wait for you to dive into that. <laughs> do you not uh, do you not immediately think so? Um, I've read a lot of gothic novels. Yeah. Um, no, I do. I think so. I think Claudia sets it up early that she is a big fan of mysteries. Right. 
and this pretty quickly tailspins into her own little mystery. Uh, yeah, um, well done. So the very opening of the book, Claudia is curling up with her copy of Nancy Drew and the Phantom of Pine Hill. Um, a classic. A classic, but it sets up this world, this sort of gothic world of ghosts and the occult and supernatural beings. And then that is borne out by these phantom phone calls. These girls are babysitting, and people keep calling up the house and then d- doing, like, heavy breathing and hanging up the phone. So it's it's creepy. It's intense. It's worrying. It's so There's quaint. It's quaint literal that... fucking witch. It's is... quaint that an adult man calling young girls and breathing heavily... <laughs> is like a cat thief and not a pervert. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Well, that's something we can delve into. Sorry, I said cat thief. I meant cat burglar. <laughs> <laughs> a cat thief would steal cats. There is a cat that appears in the novel. A cat burglar is a, a stealthy jewel thief. Um, I'm going to spoil the book and just say what happens. This yeah. is the, the main theme is this. There is a thief who's phantom phone calling people. He calls them up, and then he doesn't say anything. There's a pervert. If they answer the phone. And if they don't answer the phone, presumably he thinks they're away, and then he goes and steals their diamonds. Probably, like, masturbates in their house. Okay. <laughs> That's unsubstantiated. <laughs> I'm just putting myself <laughs> into the thief's mind. <laughs> Can I say what, how it all turns out? Yeah. So these girls are babysitting, and they're getting these freaky-ass phone calls. It turns out at the end that it's the boys that they have a crush on are calling them, and they're too nervous to ask them to the Halloween hop dance. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that op- that opened up more questions than, than it answered. How did the boys know where they were? Okay, that's a great question. Keep in mind, I've read the book, and I know the answer, but I want you to explain it okay. to her. Great, great. Well, as aforementioned, Marianne, the secretary, keeps excellent fucking notes. And so she's got this notebook that has all of their whereabouts and their phone num- the phone number of the house that they're going to be at because they're afraid of this phantom phone calling thief. And she brings it to school, and these boys kind of get a sight of it, and so they know where they're going to be and what the number is. And then so they these... call up, they freak out, they get too nervous to ask them to the Halloween hop, and they hang up, thereby falling into the trap of seeming like this creepy stalker cat thief <laughs> cat burglar so these boys know that there is this phantom phone caller yeah and they they decide to copycat crime him by phantom phone calling these young women when they are alone and vulnerable right uh targeting them frankly right in order to get them to go to the halloween hop with yeah them. and the end game is getting them to go to the halloween hop that's the thing, yeah, and it works. Um, it, it sort of works in a very roundabout way because neither Alan Gray nor Trevor Sanborn, the wannabe phantom phone callers, ever muster the courage to actually ask either girl out until Alan Gray is caught peeping on Claudia and Christy in the bushes right. at one of their babysitting gigs. Yeah, so this is a, one of the big points that I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about hailing rituals. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, okay. So as you know, the hailing ritual in sort of Marxist structuralist <laughs> theory. <laughs> this is the second episode in a row that Marx has come up. This is No, exactly. No, I was going to bring that up as well. But the point is when you say hello to someone, you say, hey, Tanner. Yeah. Hail. Yeah. So what what I'm doing Hail is Jack. I'm I'm creating within you the possibility to be a subject. I make you a person when I say hey Tanner. So when you call someone up and you don't say hello, yeah. you're taking that away from them. 
So this, to me, is a tactic that these boys are using to destabilize and disempower the women that they're trying to eventually invite to the Halloween hop. Eventually, at the end of the book, these girls are just kind of are beaten down by this experience, and they're just Halloween hop ready. So you think that they are, before anything even begins establishing their masculine dominance right over these yeah women. and this is a theme as we, we saw this in christie's great idea as well we did this, see that in christie's yeah. great idea as well there's these themes of this sort of patriarchal structure that that stony brook in particular is sort of very much these like dominant father figures uh and these women who are kind of pushing up against it trying to start a small business trying to get their babysitting off the ground when their dads are sort of either absent or too, meddling too much in their lives as is the case with marianne and then now in the second book we've got other males coming in from the outside who are also trying to destabilize their relationship, who are also trying to get them off of what they do best, which is babysitting, and get them into their own patriarchal structure world, which is the, the Halloween hop. Is it subversive? Is Anna Martin a cog in the machine, or is she is she like uh, Yimu Zhang, kind of lashing out against the system oh, she's working within? No, I think this is totally subversive. This is this book is about their struggle to kind of come together as women and make their own way. Um, Jack. Yes. I just dropped the name Himu Zhang. Yeah. And you just you just went with it. <laughs> yeah. Do you know who that is? No. Chinese film director. Yeah. Most famous probably in America for the film Hero starring Jet Li. Okay. That is like kind of a, a romping action film. Mm-hmm. Um, back in China, in communist China, he would make these very, very submersive film. Uh, submersive? <laughs> Sub, subversive. Films about submarines. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> subversive films about Chinese history Mm -hmm. that if you did a little digging, you would figure out pretty quickly were sort of this cry against Chinese communism. And he did that within the system. So you think that's an influence? I think Anne and Martin is probably influenced by the works of Yimou Zhang. (laughs) That sounds very likely to me. Well, so we're talking about smart stuff. Um, And that, that, this is, I'm doing a segue. (laughs) Natural. Uh, (laughs) How did it feel? It felt very good. I was I was on board until you said I'm doing a segue. <laughs> okay, good. That's a sign that a segue is working. Yeah. So I which makes me which makes me think of Janine. Um so I have a little thought experiment that I put together here. So Janine is Claudia's sister, and Janine the thing about Janine is that she's super, super fucking smart. Obnoxiously she's, smart. She's very intelligent. I like what she does in this book. I like what she did in Christie's great idea. I think she's one of the strongest characters. You think that because it's you. <laughs> I she is the you of this book. Let's table that for a second and I'm going to talk about Janine's IQ. Janine's IQ is 196. Yeah. Okay. I have assembled here a number of names. Good. I was just I literally just picked up my phone when yeah. you said that to Google what is Stephen Hawking's yeah. IQ. Okay. <laughs> so I have assembled a number of names and I would like for you to I have I have something like 7 or 8 names here. Just off the top of your head rank them from the highest IQ to the lowest IQ. Okay. Okay? Yep. Janine Kishi, Claudia's sister. Yeah. 195 established. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Ashton Kutcher, famous actor. Also, I think, known to be fairly intelligent, but go ahead. Stephen Hawking. Yeah. Albert Einstein. Yeah. Bobby Fischer, American chess player. Racist. Okay. (laughs) Galileo. Rene Descartes. Uh And Immanuel Kant. Okay. Whew. I can't. I only remember um, <laughs> about three of those names. Okay, so I'm gonna go Stephen Hawking number one. Okay, smartest, world's smartest person. Okay, um, I'm gonna go. Um, I even though I I'm pretty sure he's a racist, maybe an anti-Semite. I think Bobby Fischer was known for having sort of a weirdly high IQ. Okay, number two, 
Number three, I'm going to go Emmanuel Kant. Mm-hmm. Number four, I'm going to go, who else was in that list? Einstein. Descartes, Descartes. Einstein, Galileo, and Kutcher. I'm going to go Einstein. I'm going to go that order. I'm going to go okay. Descartes, Galileo. Einstein, Einstein Kutcher. Einstein, Kutcher. Okay. So, very oh, quickly. Oh, oh. Sorry, I forgot Janine Kishi. Oh, at the bottom. No. No. Number two after <laughs> Stephen Hawking. Okay. So here it is. Very, very briefly from bottom to top. Tied for f- last place, Albert Einstein, Stephen Hawking, and Ashton Kutcher. Wow, really? And then going up to the top, yeah. Emmanuel Kant, Rene Descartes, Galileo Galilei, Bobby Fischer, Janine Kishi. Number one, Janine number Kishi. One. Coming number one. Coming number one. Slot. Blows Bobby Fischer out of the water. Her you know, I did, IQ is 20 or 30 points higher than Bobby I did pretty Fischer. good on that. Yeah, no, you did actually <laughs> do pretty well. Uh, Stephen Hawking was a surprise. Yeah. Um, I thought he was much smarter than he is. It sounds like him and I probably have about the same IQ. Yeah, right. Um, but so here's the question. Yeah. This book is from Claudia's perspective. Is Claudia wrong? Is that a universal truth that Janine's IQ is actually 195? Or is that just Claudia's like idiot? No, she, childish. Says, I, she says 196. Yeah. And there's a whole section where she says like, this isn't just regular IQ. This is genius level. So Janine. Well, it's, it's beyond genius. Yeah, beyond genius. So, it's like Brainiac from Superman. Yeah. Janine is going to like start collecting cities and miniaturizing them. And she's such a compelling character in this book. Every time she comes on the scene, she crackles with energy. I'm not sure I'm using this term right, but you're a real Janine stan. <laughs> yeah, I think that's how that's. Yeah. I think that's how that works. And I know why. Yeah. Because you are Janine. In our relationship, you and I are close friends. Mm-hmm. We've been friends for many years. Uh, you performed my wedding. Mm-hmm. I spoke at yours. We've been intimate. Okay. Not. Sexually, but like, you know, uh, conversationally. Okay. Um, you, I can say this with the utmost confidence. Mm-hmm. You are Janine. I am Claudia. Okay. Do you have, you have you, like funky? You wear cool outfits. Yeah, yeah. And I'm very cool. I'm very fresh. I'm very young. Yeah. Um, not book smart, but intelligent. I am actually pretty book smart, as Claudia also states in <laughs> in the book. Like, actually, I'm pretty smart too. Um, you. Pedant, uh, insufferable. Uh-huh. Uh, in fact, um, I've highlighted a bit of text here, which I think reflects well something I share in common with Claudia. Um, she's talking about math, and she says, It's useless. Who cares whether greater than means greater than or less than, or what x equals? Besides, why bother finding out since x equals something different every time? That's how I feel about everything. You know what's fucking crazy? What? I only wrote down one quote from this book. Yeah. And it was X equals something different every time. X does equal something different every I time. I found that that blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> See, but you're already already coming at it from this like insufferable philosophical <laughs> angle. <laughs> Rather was... than the bare bones like presented as is that Claudia was going for. I thought that was incredible. That was an incredible piece of why why sulfur X when X equals something different every time. Apply that apply that to your life. Jack, let me ask you a question. Um, why bother correcting people on the exact meaning of the phrase begs the question when <laughs> begs the question can mean any number of things? Begs the question can mean only one thing. No, see, this is, why, this is why you're the Janine. And there's one thing that it very specifically does not mean, which is raise the question. Language is fluid. It evolves. And it's evolving. If you start using it the wrong way, a beautiful, a beautiful piece of meaning is going to go out of the language.
and we're never going to be able to say that again. This is what happens every time I open up to Jack. Like I start, <laughs> I start emoting to him. I'm like, oh, I just need to, I just need to talk something through. He always like latches onto some piece of fascinating minutia, and he's like, actually, he pushes up his glasses. Actually, and that is why Jack is a Janine. Janine is that same way. Janine is incapable of these deep emotional connections. Right. I think it's time to talk about themes of persecution and alienation in this novel. Can't wait. Um, and the way that I want to talk about it, I, the way I want to go into this particular topic is through the pieces of literature that they're reading. So kind of thinking about this as a meta text, what the text that they experience in the novel. As you know, yeah. Uh Nancy I'm, Drew. No, yeah, I'm right there with Nancy you. Drew Phantom of of Pine Hill comes up. Uh-huh. The Pond, which is a, a environmental uh, Someone mentions mentions the pond. yeah. They're reading the pond for English class. It's a YA novel that is a, a themes of the environment. Okay, uh, the witch next door. Yeah, the witch of Blackbird Pond. A lot of witches. Sources of the American social tradition by <laughs> David J. Rothman. I'm not Once kidding. Again. No, I know that was Janine brings yeah. up. <laughs> Um, and The Secret Garden, the classic, the classic children's novel, The Secret Garden. Yeah. So I, I'll let you answer this one. It's yeah. pretty obvious. What do these things have in common? Um, fuck. My mind immediately jumps to a cult, but I doubt that book no. that Janine was reading. <clears throat> well, it comes up. So obviously what, what Anne and Martin is trying to say with all of this stuff <laughs> uh-huh. is, is – so this is, the theme of alienation is really strong in this book. Claudia is alienated from her sister and her family, and that's something that she's kind of working out. And the babysitters, the two groups of babysitters, the ones who are interested in boys and the ones who aren't are alienated from each other. Yeah. As we um, know at the end of the book, though. And so, so Nancy boys. Drew's the – Phantom, the Phantom Hill kind of introduces this concept of the alien or the other. Yeah. Because um, it's like what is the Phantom of Pine Hill? This is kind of this otherness. Um, and then the other books kind of continue that theme. So the pond, we alienate ourselves from our natural environment. Uh-huh. Uh, the witch next door, we alienate ourselves from our neighbors. Uh-huh. And obviously, source yeah. of the American social yeah. tradition, yeah. we alienate ourselves from society. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, uh-huh. from is this not? No, it's good. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> you just keep going. You know, this is a <laughs> All right. Well, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna keep talking here. Are you getting another beer? Is that what's happening? This one's full. I just <laughs> wanted to prove my point about you boring me. It was a good visual point that you proved by walking away from the mic. Yeah, a great visual <laughs> gag on this podcast. <laughs> um, all right, well, what's a theme you'd like to talk about? This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hmm. What would I do with an extra hour in my day? Very interesting question, BetterHelp. Hello, everyone. This is Evil Tanner. I'm like regular Tanner, except evil. Our sponsor, BetterHelp, has put a little prompt here in the copy for us. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? My own website, which only exists on the dark web, of course, uh, wetterhelp.com, could use a little help. So I would probably use that hour to... Do a whole bunch, like, just flood Facebook with one like, one prayer. Please go donate to my GoFundMe. I need to bring my website, wetterhelp.com, back from the brink. Betterhelp.com, they feel like there's a little bit of uh, infringement. I said, well, you know, we're on the dark web. You guys are on the surface web. Our whole thing is, like, getting people wet who don't want to be wet. So it's, like, stepping in a puddle or, like, sitting on a bench that's wet. That's us. Like, that's what we do. Share this with a friend, one like, one prayer. I will follow through on the like prayer stuff, too. I will be praying all night. 
I would use today's sponsor, BetterHelp.com. Um, of course, I can't. I am evil Tanner. I can only use the deep web. We do have a deep web version of BetterHelp.com. Um, it's called WorseHelp.com. It's not good, but I think BetterHelp.com is great from everything I've heard. Convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch at any time, no additional charge. Uh, go check it out. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Bedfellows to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Bedfellows. See you there. Well, not me, but have fun. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, it was pretty funny. Uh, here's here's what I want to talk about. Okay, all the great pranks. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. There's a lot of good pranks in this book. Yeah. Um, Alan Gray. Yeah. And Christy Thomas have kind of an ongoing prank war. Yeah, Alan Gray is the boy that, well, this is a fucking huge spoiler, but it has a crush on Christy. It doesn't seem like it at the beginning. I feel like we shouldn't blow that wad so early. Alan Gray is Christy's nemesis. Right. He's constantly picking on her and constantly pranking her. And she, in turn, is constantly picking on him and constantly pranking him. Yeah. How does the prank war start? You're asking me? Yep. Which prank do you want me to tell you? Christy's prank on him or Alan's prank on Christy? Christy's prank on him is retribution Yeah. for his prank on her. So why don't you hit me with his prank on her and I will rebut with her prank on him, the, which frankly is much better. No. The thing that Alan Gray said about Christy, if it's what you're thinking about, yeah. to me was the fucking best part of this entire novel where Christy comes in late to class. Alan Gray is sitting down next to her in, in the assigned seat next to her. Yeah. Christy comes in late to class, kind of shuffles into class, sits down, and the teacher looks around. Alan Gray puts his hand up, and he says, hey, I'm so sorry Christy's late to class. She had to take a fucking flea bath. <laughs> it's not – I mean, it's it's good, but it's not, like, great. Christy's rebuttal is, like – Ocean's Eleven style, like, <laughs> intrigue and espionage. Yeah, I mean, she did, I honestly, I want you to tell it, because it is good, and she, like, goes for it, but that that is just killer. That's just, because for Alan, that's just a one-liner. He probably just thought of it just as she came in. He's, he just had, he just cued that up, and it just, it, it just gets me. Here was Christy's response. Yeah. Christy's res- response was to bring a special lunch to school. And talk at length out loud in the classroom about how special this lunch was, how it had um, chocolate in it, how it was like a special reward for something. And her parents gave her all these chocolates and a special sandwich and all this stuff. And then made a big deal about how she would not keep this lunch in the coat room because she didn't want anyone to get at it. This is where the Ocean's Eleven stuff comes in. And that she was going to keep the lunch in her desk, safeguarded against any um, potential lunch thieves. Alan Gray, lo and behold, steals it right out of her desk, goes to the lunchroom, makes this big production about, I got the unstealable lunch out of Christy Thomas's desk, proceeds to pull items out of it one by one, uh, psych out 
<laughs> they're all these fake food items that Christy has planted for him, like a sandwich with fake flies stuck into it. And I think something was rotten. Or no, there was literal poop. dead spiders. Yeah, dead spiders. Yeah, it was dead spiders. A baggie full of dead spiders, which is like pretty morbid. Yeah, it's where did she get all those dead spiders? Um, the the con was that Christy hid her actual lunch in plain sight in the coat room where she said she didn't, and Just Alan Gray for it. fell right into her trap. Yeah, that's so much more sophisticated. That's like it was probably very expensive too. It was probably a very expensive con to pull. No, and high and really high risk. Very high risk. High risk. Like there, there's like a strong chance you end up accidentally eating a spider sandwich. Yeah. And ruining your social life, um, as uh, our friend Claudia did. Oh, what a fucking nerd! Uh, when she dropped Jello on Trevor, right on his crotch, right on his crotch, and then was so embarrassed that keep in mind that we've we've put up with 150 pages of her swooning over swooning over this dude because he's in the fucking poetry club and he's beautiful and sensitive. That's not even it's not even a step. Oh, he's the handsomest guy in school. Yeah, and he's he's very sensitive. She says yeah. over and over again. Also. Claudia is wearing a bra now, and the way she talks about boys... <laughs> you would think. You would think that they had just been invented. Yeah, no. Well, that's true. So that little nugget yeah. is a line from Chrissy's Great Idea. Yeah. Claudia's wearing a bra now, <laughs> yeah. and the way she talks about boys, you'd think they'd just been invented. Every uh, great podcast needs <laughs> a sign-off at the end, and I think we just found ours. It's beautiful. That's <laughs> <laughs> gorgeous. Um, and... I think that this book delivers on the promise of that line. That's what this book is about. You think that that one line that, one line that you attach to... setting up, is teeing, teeing up this book, okay. this novel. Okay. Yeah, no, it does. It does in a lot of ways. Yeah, the bra, about how she talks about fucking The bra Trevor. is never mentioned, but she does talk about Trevor as though boys have just been invented. Right. You would think, he, like, literally the only thing he has going for him is he writes in the fucking poetry magazine. And he's the most handsome boy in school. That's, according to Claudia, it's not substantiated by the other girls. Well, the other girls aren't necessarily interested in boys. Yeah, only Stacy. And, oh, okay, so here's the line. I found the line about Alan Gray. So bear in mind, just real quick, yeah. that this is a man that Christy goes to the Halloween hop with. She describes him as the most disgusting boy in this whole solar system. I don't know what to say about that, but that seems like that seems like some weird shit. Like, would you go to the Halloween hop with the most disgusting boy in this whole solar system, who later who later s- stalks you and phantom phone calls you at your? There's some I don't know. There's some weird shit going on. Like that. That's something maybe we can unpack as this goes on. Like, are they going to stay dating? We'll see what God, that I relationship. Hope so. uh, yeah, I hope so. So too. I I actually captured a point here um, in my notes pretty early on in the book. Actually, she's talking about Alan Gray, and she says. Do you know what Alan Gray did to me today? She asked, a look of pure disgust on her face. That's actually not that interesting of a line. But. (laughs) Good. Good. This is good. This is fucking great stuff, man. It was. (laughs) It was the moment in the book where I said to myself, and I captured this note. um, Alan and Chrissy are definitely going to end up together. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. You nailed it. You nailed it, and she says she even fucking says at the end she's like, "Ah, my 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 mom told me that when boys tease you, it's actually to show interest." Jack, you're married, right? I'm a married man. How did your relationship with your wife Sarah Morgan, who's in the other room right now, yeah. begin? Good. Well, I'm I'm interested that you should bring that up. It's actually a very surprising surprising story. Yeah. Um, she we worked together. Mm-hmm. 
and she on her first day of work, uh, she came in a little bit late. Yeah. And I stood up from my desk and I said, "Boss, <laughs> sorry, Sarah's late. She had to take a flea bath." <laughs> Classic. Classic. <laughs> and then here we are. Did she know, ever get you back? Happily married. <laughs> happily married. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's for another. That's for another podcast. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. Well, we've you know we've been going for thirty seven minutes now. Good. Eight uh, more to go. <laughs> eight more to go to get to our twenty. Uh, I wanted to talk. I have a few. I mean, there's a lot that I want. There's so much in this fucking book. Jesus Christ. It's a very dense. It's a it's it's a pastiche of the gothic novel, <laughs> uh-huh. um, but it all it, it explores these themes of sort of alienation in suburbia in Stony Brook, Connecticut, which we've. Discovered it actually doesn't exist. Yeah, it's a fake place. So it's a fan, as you pointed out earlier, it's a fantasy, a fantasy novel. Book. It's yeah. a fantasy novel. Yeah, uh, but there's a lot to unpack. And I mean, there's also witches. It's a fantasy it. book because it's a fictional place, and also this there is, are literal witches. Yeah, this is what I want to talk about is the is the occult stuff. Uh, so the in the last book uh, we were introduced to uh, a, a woman named Morbida Destiny, yeah. who's a witch Given who lives name. next door to one of the babysitting charges of the girls. This book, she comes back with a fucking vengeance. Yeah. Um, she has cast some kind of a spell on the young girl, Karen, to give, right. to give her more freckles. I mean, this Christie's, isn't... Christie's... It's not clear that this is what's actually happened or whether it's in Karen's mind. It seems... It's ominous. Christie's new sister. Yeah. Karen, Watson's daughter. Yeah. Has suddenly developed... Many more freckles than she previously had. Yeah. You know what my fucking favorite thing that Janine did in this book? <laughs> Back to Janine. <laughs> no, but this is, is relevant. Claudia's talking to Janine about like how she's scared, how this shit is spooking her out. Yeah. Um, all these phantom phone calls. And she remembers a time, a happy time, when like when they were kids and they were scared by a thunderstorm and they sort of like huddled together in the basement and comfort each other. Yeah. And Janine at that point says... Uh, the human fear process is deeply fascinating. Yeah, she does a fucking like nerd out and pushes up her glasses, and she's like, "The human fear process is she doesn't deeply say fascinating." And you know what Claudia says to her? Hey, Janine. Now you be Janine. Yes, Claudia. Shut up. <laughs> is that it? That's yeah. that was a good little role play. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh. Well, okay. Well, we'll agree to disagree on that. I thought that was interesting. I thought in my mind Claudia kind of shut Janine down. She was about yeah. to say some really. And I'm shutting about to you down. Lay down some <laughs> fucking knowledge. I'm shutting you down because Janine is insufferable <laughs> and you're insufferable. Um, but and we, we were talking about witches. Yeah. Okay. Do we have anything to say about more bit of destiny as we wind this thing to a? a I feel a like weary close. She was um much more powerful in the last book. Maybe the girls are just a little older now, a little more sophisticated. It's literally they're, two weeks later. They're literally dealing with uh, pervert jewel thieves. Yeah. Um, so maybe they're more well-equipped to handle witches. Yeah. But Morbida Destiny feels pretty impotent in this book. I don't know. I, there's some, some, scary, some scary stuff that happens. There's the tapping There's the tapping of the window of the tree branch. It's a tree branch. There's, it was a tree branch. Case closed. Yeah. Um, well, and you know what that's... A reference to right poltergeist no obviously wuthering heights <laughs> oh sure <laughs> in wuthering heights what it turns out to be it is a tree branch but it turns out that the reason that she's woken up is because of the ghost of Kat- kathy yeah um in this in this book it's, it's it also just to break in yeah sounds like a very deep parallel 
to poltergeist. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Where the tree is tapping on her window, um, and you think, oh, it's just a tree. Yeah. It is just a tree, but the tree is There's... fucking haunted. Yeah. Yeah, well, and this tree is haunted, too. It's a cat that is cursed by morbid destiny. Boo Boo ends up jumping from the tree into the window. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember yeah, that. that. a cool moment. Oh, so it wasn't case closed. Yeah, it wasn't case closed. No, it was yeah. a cat. Yeah. It wasn't a tree at all. It was a cat. Oh. But then we see, we, we witness, we encounter Morbid of Destiny firsthand via Christy, via Mary's Notebook, via Claudia. Right. God, it's just so interesting. Isn't that interesting? These kind of multiple voices, these sort of multiple layers. This book is basically Inception. Here's the thing, though. So that, that story of Morbid Destiny coming to the door, because she does come to the door while Christy is taking care of Watson's kids. Mm-hmm. She comes to the door with Boo Boo and says, this cat's a nuisance. Get him out of my hair. Yeah. Um, she is neutered in that scene. She is no longer this potent a symbol of fear. She is just an old lady in black, in a black dress. I mean, she shows up literally with a bag of mouse guts. That the cat oh, has the cat has chewed up, and she's like, "Your cat chewed up these mouse guts," and hands them to Christy, who later rationalizes that a real witch would want to hang on to the mouse guts, right. which is like to me, it just shows like a very very superficial understanding of witches. No, I think these girls have really matured. I think their fear is gone because like a story like that filtered through three young women would have gotten so exaggerated like oh and this witch showed up and she gave me her guts and they were cursed uh they didn't do that they didn't go that route they're like oh literally this old lady showed up and gave me these mouse guts and you would think that if she was a witch she would keep the mouse guts yeah so i think like morbid destiny has lost her power over these girls well that remains to be seen and uh, this is possibly this is terrible now we're just like now we're just talking about like literally one page in this book we've been talking about it for 20 minutes um well maybe it's time to wind this journey all right, yeah. can I ask you one, one last question Yeah, to kind of finish up on? Yeah. This book is titled Claudia and the Phantom Phone Caller. It's it's titled. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Literally read it today. Claudia and the Phantom Phone Calls. I read the book less than 12 hours ago. And yeah. I've already forgotten 90% of it. Uh-huh. Um, this book is called Claudia and the Phantom Phone Calls. What happens with the Phantom Phone Caller? What happens? Yeah. Okay. Is that is that, that B storyline resolved? More or less. Okay. The phantom phone caller who is the jewel thief mm-hmm. is apprehended by police and even now in oh, 2015 is rotting in jail <laughs> yeah. in the darkest dungeon that <laughs> they could find. Later. 20 years later. 30 years later. They've actually made a Netflix yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, documentary about yeah. him. Yeah. How to, yeah. It's timely. How to make a making, phantom phone call. Making a phantom phone yeah. call. <laughs> good. Good. Got it. We got there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so he's rotting in the, in jail. But there were other phantom phone calls that were from boys, from uh, Alan Gray and from Trevor, uh, Claudia's love interest. And those phantom phone calls— Misogynists in the making. Misogynists in the making. Th- those phantom phone calls were eventually reciprocated in the form of accepting a invitation to the Halloween hop. <laughs> You're telling me that Christy— yeah. Goes to the dance with Alan Gray. She goes to dance with Alan Gray. What? Doesn't even put up a fight. What? Doesn't even put up a fight. He's like, I'm sorry I did all these fake phone calls, and you literally had to call the police, and I had to get dragged away by cops. This is a thing that happened that we haven't talked about. That's probably the most interesting in the book, <laughs> but we're literally not going to talk about it. 
Uh, just real quick, Alan Gray is uh, peeping in the uh, babysitting job that they're working on. Claudia and Christy are doing tandem babysitting. Um, Alan Gray's in the bushes peeping. He calls several times. The police show up. They pull him out of the bushes. They bring him inside, and they say, this little pervert was out in the bushes. Do you want to press charges? And Christy's like, no, I will not press charges. In fact, I will go to a dance with him. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that was really well done. Yeah. That was beautiful. Um, she does. She does like say it very nonchalantly. Yeah. She's like, "Oh, that's it. You just wanted to go to the dance with me. Of course, I will." Yeah, yeah. She was into it. She was. Of course, she was it. fucking super into it. She's super into it. And then Claudia goes to dance with Trevor. Stacy goes to dance with a man named Pete. Yeah, Stacy's literally pretty... nothing is said about. She's just like, "Yeah, I'll take Pete." Also, nothing is said about Stacy in this book. She's, yeah, she's a very minor character. Oh, she's so mysterious in this book. And you want this? You want to know what the next book that we're going to be talking about is? No, tell it's me. It's called The Truth About Stacy. Yeah, she has diabetes. We already know the truth. Yeah, it's weird. It feels like a real letdown. We already yeah. know the truth about Stacy. Uh, I think that's the name of the next book in the series. I certainly hope so. <laughs> If not, you'll find out. Is next she a nine eleven truther? <laughs> <laughs> Is that the truth about Stacey? Maybe there's something else. She's got a really mysterious past. She's from New York. I don't trust that. Yikes. Yeah. So anyway, the phantom phone caller captured in jail, currently rotting in prison. Yeah. Huge petition on change.org to release him. <laughs> the two wannabe phantom phone callers, these young perverts, yeah. released back uh, into society. Back into society. <laughs> Go to the Halloween hop. Rampaging all over the Halloween hop. With Claudia with new and girlfriends. Christy. Yeah. Unstated whether they're girlfriends or just friends. But, I, I mean, a Halloween hop, that's a pretty... Pretty serious. That's, that's pretty serious. Yeah. Doesn't account for the thief who stole the jewels from, I believe, Claudia's next-door neighbors, the Goldmans. Yep, and that thief is never caught. So there's still a rampant phantom phone calling copycat pervert pervert <laughs> at large in stony, in stony brook, brook connecticut the fantasy world next week claudia is wearing a bra now and she's <laughs> acting as if boys had just been invented there it is the truth about stacy thank you very much and good night that's not how a sign off works how do you say it? how do you say a sign off at the very end <laughs> i'll bring in the music to, to part the kimono here i'm gonna edit this and I will bring in the music as Jack says the sign off. It's like a radio show. Okay, what do I say? So you say, you gotta, you gotta get your get your cadence down. Okay. And you say, this has been the Babysitters Club. Club. I'm Jack Shepard, and my co-host is Standard Green Ring. Uh, next week we'll be discussing book three of the Babysitters Club, the truth about Stacy, Stacy's dark secret, whatever it is. <laughs> Claudia is wearing a bra now. I should probably check that. <laughs> <laughs> and the way she talks about it, you'd think, boys just been invented wow that's the last thing you say it's your sign off all right i'll try it that way yeah but i liked it the way i did it okay (laughs) ladies and gentlemen this has been the babysitter's club club uh with me jack shepherd me tanner greenring and next week we're going to be talking about the third babysitter's club book the truth about stacy claudia's wearing a bra now And the way she talks, you would think that boys had just been in bed. Very good. We've done it. We've done it. Martin wrote the first book of what became a cult. Now it's time for Babysitter's Club Club.